It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. <laughs> the faccia? Yeah, that's uh, Italian for face. Faccia. Yeah. Is that? Hmm, that's interesting because the skin is called the fascia. The muscle is it fascia. a muscle? The fascia. It's like uh, a fibrous covering fascia, over the muscle. Yeah, fascia. but Italian, it's faccia. Your face. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of matcha when he matcha, said that. Matcha. <laughs> That'd be great to have a matcha place called Matcha Faccia. Matcha Face. Let's go drink at Matcha Face. That actually is a good name. What if it was an Italian cafe with matcha-infused ingredients? Ooh, wait. I'm coming up with all kinds of good Uh, ideas Trademark that real quick. Matcha Faccia, TM. TM, Don't take it. Yeah, maybe we'll have to get some matcha after this. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I would, I would hardcore go Especially for the matcha Especially because right now. Jason Green and I are going to be going to a podcast party tonight. and Y'all going to need the energy. Yeah, Especially yeah. you, Jay, because you, you literally just flew in. Boy, are your arms tired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a little jet lag. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like we should just turn it over to you because you've got the note cards. You, <laughs> you have been preparing for this episode for a while. May I, before we go to Jason's note cards, sidetrack? On a beautiful tangent, because we always love to sidetrack on beautiful tangents, Jason. Good. Caffeine. Since we're talking about matcha, how do you feel about caffeine in general? Are you a coffee drinker? Are you a matcha fiend? Do you love tea? Do you mess with coffee at all? And also, what's your favorite plant-based milk to put oh, in whatever you like to drink? Sub-question. So I'm kind of weird where I don't like coffee or tea. Okay. Or wow. kombucha. Wow. I, know. Oh, I love the smell of coffee. Down. I don't dislike it, but it's just not my thing. Is it more the flavor of those things, or you don't like how you physiologically feel after you consume them, or both? It's more the flavor. So before, like the first thing I ever gave up was Coca-Cola, and mm. I did that Good for like two you. years, other than like a Jack and Coke once in a while. But So that was like the first thing I ever gave up, I guess, as I went to becoming healthier. But So that's the only time I really did caffeine, is really soda. So And did you give up cola because it was the sugar or the dyes or the companies that owned it like or, what was your or the reason the fact that it can dissolve a penny when you put it in a glass of it maybe that reason too it's a little bit of everything it's probably i was like you know i had a little bit of spare tire you know i was trying to mm, military sure. i like i'm trying to be in good shape of course so gotcha but so a little bit of that a little bit of being healthy but so, right on. so caffeine free lifestyle okay but what about Except for what chocolate. if it was well <laughs> yeah. i mean <laughs> what about caffeine-free, sugar-free cola by like a brand like, like Zevia, who I'm really hooked on. Have you ever had that? No. Anytime I've ever tried like sugar-free or any free, it just doesn't taste the same any to me. Any free? Yeah. It just doesn't but taste the same. animal-free. You're into animal-free products. Yes, yes, yes. But anything that's like sugar-free, like Coke Zero, I haven't tried that one, but oh. I don't know. Any diet, I just I don't like it. So. Yeah. Is, it is it maybe like because some of the sweeteners, the sugar alcohols they use, uh, you see a lot of like erythritol, xylitol, things like that. Is it the taste of it is just like too sharp? Because I hear that a lot. Yeah, bitter. Really yeah. bitter and sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I taste yeah. that. I've gotten really into Zevia. I go through phases where I'll want, crave it so much. And it's so so nice because it's kind of like the best of all worlds. They don't use any dyes that I know of because it's clear. Even the cola is clear. It's sugar-free. They use Stevia. And they have caffeine-free options too. So My favorite hack though, legit, is the longevity soda. Yes, that's true. So so there's a couple acquaintances, good, well, good friends of mine named uh, Len, Len Foley and Rebecca Gauthier. They, uh, they 
were doing the Longevity Now conference for many years. They actually have a place called Longevity Coffee, which is in the suburbs of Los Angeles. And they have a line of droppers, liquid droppers that mimic uh, lemon, lime, soda, root beer, citrus, orange. orange. And they're infused, first of all, they're sugar-free, but they're not bitter and acrid and weird. But colors they have, for instance, the orange soda has turmeric. Root beer is with shaga mushroom, which is super medicinal and and anti-cancer. They taste amazing. So I'll actually get a bottle of sparkling water. My favorite one right now is Topo Chico. And I'll pop it off and put a couple droppers in, and it ta- the root beer is unbelievable. We'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can pick <laughs> this up. Is it sweetened it's with cool. stevia? It is stevia sweetened, and it's so good because I was a root beer fiend growing up because in Detroit where I grew up, we had A&W, uh-huh. and we had the Coney Islands, and every time I'd go, I was a root beer float freak. So Why did you want to know the answer to this question? <laughs> well, we were riffing on matcha, and, oh, okay. I, and, and I knew he had jet lag, and I just wanted to dig into Jason's Yeah, what do you do if you don't consume caffeine? I mean, granted, I think people that don't consume caffeine are amazing, and I'm somebody that I don't like caffeine per se. I like the flavor. I'm kind of like the opposite of you, Jason, it sounds yeah. like, where... I love the way coffee tastes and I love the experience of coffee. I love the experience of tea and sodas. Like it's all about the like the flavors and the and like the textures sometimes. But caffeine I could take it or leave it. Yeah, I feel like I like the experience also of coffee, going to a coffee house. I like the smell of it. I like everything about it, just not the taste. So, <laughs> so since we're coming clean too, I also don't like beer. Okay. That's fair. I'm on board but for I, that. But yeah. I go to breweries not all the time, but but I'll go with somebody, it's not a big deal. Wine? Wine's okay. If there's no, hard liquor, I like hard liquor. I like okay. whiskey. Okay, I was going to oh. say this man has to have a vice. Yeah. My God, where is your vice, man? <laughs> I mean, yes. And now that I'm retired from the military, there's other things I can do now too. Of course, you know. Yeah, so, that's true. But there's a lot of different about. options. So when you are low in energy, though, because a lot of people turn to coffee, tea, you know. Well, you do like matcha. You said yes, N- no. no. You know what? Honestly, I don't even know if I've even had matcha. <gasps> to tell you the truth, like I've seen it everywhere. I don't think I've even actually had it. Would you try it. it with us if we were like, let's go get some really good matcha today? Yeah, I'd try it. I had no problem okay. trying it. You know, okay, I'm going to vote because my favorite matcha on this side of town, hands down, is Maru Coffee over in Los Feliz. Oh, that's they, right. Their matcha is a like straight up ceremonial grade from Japan. <laughs> And I'm a stickler about quality with certain things. Well, most things. Wouldn't that be funny if we just cut the episode and then suddenly we're in Maru Coffee, like recording And there's the background noise. (laughs) Yeah. The foamer in the background. Well, no pressure. But if you do want to go on that adventure, there's that. Oh, no. I kind of feel like I want to force Jason now to have like your first matcha experience. I'd be like, no, man, I want to take your matcha virginity. But I don't know, though. I mean, the thing with matcha is it's a very distinct flavor. And it depends on actually which kind of matcha, right? Because there's ceremonial, and then there's. I mean, that's what's the, only the other kind one that, called? That's the only kind that I do. No, there's two versions of matcha, <laughs> but I think the ceremonial one is more commonly used, especially in coffee shops, because it's sweeter. So there, it really depends. Just like a lot of things, it depends on what type you're having and what brand and who's preparing it. But going back to the sub question, do you have a favorite plant-based milk? And do um, you like plant-based milks or is that another thing you're not into? <laughs> Only if it's with hard liquor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of neutral on the milks. I like them all. Do you have them like in cereal or what, what would you even put it in if you don't drink these type of drinks? Oatmeal. That's where I have my oh. almond milk usually. Do you like oat milk? I do. It's just almond milk seems to be more available and cheaper mm. usually. So honestly, I just go with that because... Kind of not picky, I guess. Plus, I have four kids, so I'm used to always getting the deal, you know? So 
Well, this actually is a good segue because Jason Green and I met through TikTok. And something I've been seeing a lot on TikTok lately is people making their own oat milks. Have you seen that too? No. It's funny how TikTok gets to know what you like and they keep showing you similar content. I've seen at, at least three videos of people saying, why would you spend all this money on oat milk when you can make it yourself? And then there are people demoing how to make oat milk on their TikTok videos. And I haven't done it yet. I don't drink that much oat milk. It's like a treat for me because it's really high in carbohydrates. It is interesting. I kind of want to try and see if it tastes the same. So, okay, let's go to TikTok for a second. Okay. How long have you been on TikTok? I think you reached out to me after I did that Just Egg video that went like... A huge yes. Just Egg video you did. <laughs> well, listen, there's different Cause... levels of virality on TikTok. I think right now it's got like 712,000 views. That's which, all. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all. That's high, but it's very common to see people getting views in the millions on TikTok. Yeah, Charlie. So, yeah. <laughs> but how long have you been on there? Why did you get on TikTok? I got on there, I want to say, probably four or five months ago, maybe. It was right before you, I think. Oh, it's like right around the same. Because yeah. I think I got on there in October Yeah, I want to say, I think it was September okay. was when I got on there. Because I was trying to, of course, with the, I knew I was going to do the podcast. So I was like, well, let me try this. Let me try this TikTok thing. Because I kept, Gary V is the reason I got on there. Me too. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, he keeps talking about this. You know, it's broken yeah. record. So it's like, let me try it. And then I did a Just Egg Omelet. You know, and I kind of. The way I am, I like, okay, let me go on YouTube and study the algorithm and figure out how to get this to be good, you know? And, and so the first video I did was like a, I think it was a Beyond Sausage. Mm. I had like 2,000 views, you know, and I had like eight followers. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a huge ratio. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's why TikTok wow. is, at least at this time, such a cool opportunity yeah. because you can, anybody can get high amounts of views very easily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then, you did that. And then I did the just egg omelet. I ended up, I think right now I'm like 130,000 views. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I had like 20 followers at that time. And then I started seeing my followers jump up. And I started Instagram. I had an old Instagram account that I got rid of, but I started both at the same time to kind of compare. Yep. And TikTok was just going faster. So I was yep. like, let me try this. And and then so I was like dominating the Just Egg category. <laughs> You've done a lot of Just Egg videos. <laughs> I that's know. for sure. Because they get at least a thousand views every time. Yeah. And so, but then all of a sudden this egg comes up and I was like, who is this person? This person's blowing up. And then, and so yeah. <laughs> And I was like, someone's taking over the throne, you know? <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll be second. I didn't even mean to. Like, unlike you, I got on TikTok. Well, similar to you, I got on TikTok because of Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was just like trying to decide what to do. And one day I just thought I had a brand new bottle of Just Egg. I don't think I'd ever bought it before. I tried it out at restaurants. Yeah. I think that was my first time buying it. And I also had that brand new scan pan. Yeah, And I think the combination of people's interest in Just Egg and the fact that that nonstick pan is so impressive that it was like a 15-second video with no music. I don't know if I used any relevant hashtags. I might have used like hashtag vegan or something. Yeah, It was really a, a fluke. And I thought that was really interesting about TikTok because sometimes you're very intentional about your success and it works out the way that you want it to. And then sometimes you do something that simple and it makes a huge difference. But I will say, I still have not reached a thousand followers on there. I thought I would have gotten there a lot faster. You know what it is I've learned with mine, because I think I might have hit 500 today, but because of that one video, I got like leftovers, you know, or not leftovers, they kept jumping up. Right. But then they bring it back in because all of a sudden I'll see like yes. all of a sudden people are looking at my Just Egg thing, you know? Yep. And, and so it's like you kind of get that residual. 
Yes, that's true. Because I put up Mm. that video, I think, in October or November, and I still get views and hearts on it almost every single day. When I look at the hashtag vegan, a lot of times that's the first one. My and, videos. Yeah. That's so interesting. Really? So, yeah. so we're dominating the vegan yeah. world. Man, I, need <laughs> to, I need to, I need to That's the only area we're dominating probably right now. Jason keeps Seriously. saying that he's going to do it, but, you know, and I you think what, he's is. got the abilities of A, having five really cute animals, and yeah. B, he sings. So that's like the powerhouse for, for TikTok. Mm, All yes. you would have to do is be, a, you know, do more dancing. Consistent. And Dance, actually, he sing. does do good dances as well. So yeah, TikTok is a fascinating place. I love watching it. I talked about this yesterday when we were recording. I had a big uh, reality check yesterday or two days ago, maybe, when I looked at my screen time usage on my iPhone and realized I was spending an average of an hour a day on TikTok. I was like, I can't do this. This is not good for my mental health or productivity. I'm really interested in it. It's great entertainment. But I want to spend less time on TikTok consuming. So, yeah, it's addicting for sure. I is. know all of us over, you know, not teenagers have gone on there. And of course, the teenagers don't like that, but you kind of go in there as a joke. And then next thing you know, you're addicted. And now I'm talking <laughs> with my son about Charlie and Little Huddy, you know, yeah. like, why am I having these conversations about <laughs> people that are on TikTok don't know about? But right. for like, you know, like Charlie's been in a Super Bowl commercial just a matter of like four months, 24 million followers. You know, it's crazy. No, she's over 25 last I checked. Okay. Yeah. Every day it's like, thanks for the next million. Yeah, I know. She's like like a million followers a week or something like that. She just did one dance. Absolutely crazy. I know. And I get sucked into like, are they dating or not? Like, it's really fascinating. Like, are they really dating? Are they pretend dating? Right. Like, what's going on with them? Sadly, I wonder that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't I'm like, help why it. am I worried about that? You know who I really like on there? And I wish that I knew her her name right off the top of my head. Maybe you do. Is she in Japan? No. Oh, that is. <laughs> no, she's somebody I found out because of Charlie. And this was actually one of the reasons I became very grateful for Charlie and saw a side of her that really resonated with me. I think it's really easy to to judge Charlie. Like she's this cute fifteen year old girl. All she does is dance, and she gets twenty five million yeah. followers and Super Bowl commercials. Especially as adults, I feel like it's easy to be like, "Gosh, like, well, how did she get it so easy? And she doesn't deserve this." And get into that judgment space. But the opportunity that I had to really have a lot of gratefulness and compassion for her was when she shouted out the woman that inspired her which is a woman in her 30s who does like body positivity dancing. Oh, really? Did you not no, see, I didn't this? see that? I should pull like, it up here because I want to give her a shout her. out. You're going to see her, of course. You know, she's everywhere, but... Who, Charlie? Charlie, yeah. yeah for sure. I don't, I I don't think one. I'm following her either. I feel like her account is called Make Health a Priority. I'm almost positive that's what it is, but that's I really want to give... pages. Make Your Health okay, a Priority. Okay, then maybe I'm... Yeah, that's Paige. <laughs> shout out to Paige Snyder. We'll link to uh, we'll link to her episode like, in the show notes. What is her name? Okay, hold on. Speaking of that, I this. said to a girl in Japan because you mentioned it in TikTok, or I mentioned one of those episodes about the one who's there t- teaching about Japan. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Her Atlas. Okay. Oh yes, I like her too. So I do she, follow her. She posted because she's had like two hundred thousand followers in a couple months. But she posted yesterday. She's like, "How do I? Am I famous now? Is this am I popular? I got to tell my husband. Like maybe I should quit my job." She's like, "How do I know if, if I'm popular?" And so I messaged her like, well, I actually heard you on a podcast recently. So that's how I know you're popular. And she's like, which podcast? Oh. So I went back and was, I found out it was Paige's podcast. But yeah, it's just an interesting world. I know. I'm going through it. Charlie makes so many videos. It's like impossible to even find. Consistency. 
What is yeah, her that's name? consistency there. Doing her renegade dance. No, I know it's like going to play as I just I, I need to know the answer to this so I can shout her out. Too, that's but. that's the key though, right? Is like I mean, on any of these platforms, you get rewarded in the algorithm for being more consistent. Yep. Yeah. No matter absolutely. what it is, and therein lies the challenge and the reward. Though is the pressure to be consistent if you want to build a brand or you have something that's gaining momentum. Yeah. Even though some days you may not want to do it, but I think that's the biggest challenge is maintaining your physical and mental health amidst a a culture that's constantly getting you to do more and more and more and more. Okay, I found it. Her account is Move With Joy. Uh-huh. Okay. So it, you could see how I was like make health a priority. Move I don't With know. Joy. Yeah, close. <laughs> I don't know why. It'll start it's with like M. three. Starts with an M <laughs> and it's three words. So Move With Joy. I don't know her first name, but she has a great account because it's mostly about body positivity. Okay. And I think she's in her 30s. She's a mom. And she teaches people how to dance. And I think the story is that Charlie did like a duet or she like saw one of Move With Joy's videos. Or maybe her name is Joy. I guess that would make sense. So she saw one of Joy's videos and that's part of how she got her start on TikTok. And so she did a shout out to Joy and then Joy shot up in her followers. I think that's beautiful. And she's like one of those people that you want to be friends with, in my opinion. Like Joy is somebody I would love to meet. She does not seem in her ego. Even when she got all this popularity, she just stayed the same and she's just making her videos and it's just really cool to see. Yeah, I like when they have positive, even like with Charlie, there's a lot of girls, unfortunately, that are on there that are showing way too much, especially as a teenager. Yep. Charlie seems pretty wholesome as a kid. She does seem wholesome for sure. When she blew up, she was not dressed provocatively. She's just doing her renegade dance. Yeah, exactly. She's just a cute 15 year old who's like, and anytime you see like her parents post videos about her, you can see that there's still like, like she still has that innocence of a 15 year old, which is really sweet too, because I think it can really get to your head. And I'm sure that's so much to, to deal with mentally, like what success does to yeah. you when it happens really fast or when you're really young, which is what happened to her. Both things happened to her at the same time. I'm sure like it's just got to be tough. I think too, like the interesting thing in, to segue into, I suppose, some conversations maybe you have with your kids. There was a, this was maybe three, maybe three years ago, 2017-ish. I remember reading an article online that there was some statistics in a study about surveying school kids, teenagers, middle school and high school kids about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the number, and this was US students, by the way, the number one answer that came back was famous. Not a firefighter, not a teacher, not a doctor. The number one answer was, I want to be famous. Wow. So it's this interesting time we live in where you have a 15-year-old who is about body positivity, dancing, whatever. I and mean, we have a gazillion examples from YouTube, Instagram, at all, a million that we could bring up. People who are, are getting famous for a variety of things. But I think the fact that you have a survey that goes out to American school kids and the number one answer was, I want to be famous, it begs the question of, is this a healthy thing for people to be shooting for? And what are the mental and emotional implications of having this become a part of our culture now where kids are like, yeah, I want to be famous, man. That's the number one thing I want to do. And as a dad, how do you handle that? And does that come up with your kids at all? It's funny you say that because my youngest, who is 16, probably like a month ago, he's like, dad, he knows he wants to be in the entertainment industry, but I thought he meant like behind the camera. Okay. But all of a sudden he wants to be in front of the camera and he's never like thought about acting class or anything like that. It's just he's never done plays or anything like that. All of a sudden he just... He doesn't know what he wants to do. He just wants to be in front of the camera, you know, mm-hmm. and it's my youngest daughter. She was, she took acting class and stuff like that, but eventually she just didn't want to do it. But so yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere and he's, 
he's a pretty anxious, shy kid, you know, too. But so I don't know where it's coming from. But, you know, of course, he sees all that stuff, of course. And so, you know, there's money involved, of course, too. Everyone sees that money, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, but. Well, I think part of it is we're in such an interesting time that the three of us have experienced a lot where you can kind of be your own boss and you can work from home and you can have all this freedom. I think that's been a big thing that all human beings have wanted. It just wasn't as readily available as it is now. And so as a teenager, they're thinking, wow, you know, I don't have to go work a 40-hour job that I hate just to pay the bills. I could stay home and do fun things like dance on TikTok and get brand deals or, you know, get opportunities like Charlie is getting. I mean, that is like the dream, just to be able to pave your own path and do the things that you love and be creative and all of that. But I think that there is going to be a big shift because we've had this like 10-year period of promotion. Like you, anybody can work for themselves. And then suddenly there's a shift where a lot of people are now working for themselves. And it's like as a society, we have to start to to shift what that means for us. And it's added, it's kind of like made things complicated in a new way. And I wonder, do some people like your children just think that it's that easy? And then they're not really prepared for it because our school systems, I don't think have fully shifted to encourage that, right? Like the school systems have to prepare kids for, for these careers. And I don't know how many even colleges are like teaching kids how to be internet famous, right? Or are kids even going to college? I mean, I think a lot of teenagers like Charlie might be thinking, what's the point of going to college if I already have a career and I'm already making money? Do I need to go do that? Do I need to have that experience if I have friends and if I'm happy versus I know when I went to college and was studying film production, that was part of the path that I thought I had to follow. I had to go to school and get a degree and I had to study and learn and practice and network and all those things that I don't think I would have even known how to do without college. Right. But now if you can just go online and make videos from your bedroom and make money from it, I think that's going to change a lot of the way that people operate in this world for better and for worse. Yeah, I know with my kids, I have two college degrees, but I don't hardly ever use it. It's just something I got, honestly, you know, and so, but it's, so I've told my kids, you don't have to have a college degree to as long as you're happy and you do something, I, in my, like my youngest, he's like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with my life either, you know? I was like, <laughs> that's your response to him? Yeah. That's I amazing. Said, that's said, so luckily, real. Luckily, I had a military career. It's like, so why I figure it out, I get a retirement check, you know, so it works out. Right. But, and plus I had kids. So I was like, that was my focus, you know? And so, yeah, I was like, you know, and then he has, of course, three older siblings. And so he can see their struggles, you know, and well, the oldest two have gone to college and dropped out, you know, and that's just the way it is. You know, I'm like, that's life. doesn't mean you can't go back 10 years later, but, but they're being good. I want to talk about this because I think, first of all, your response was so just real and open and authentic to him. Of Hey, you know, I'm still figuring it out too. And as a father, can we talk about your age? Is that okay? Or is that the thing sure. you don't? Okay. Yeah. You're mid forties, right? 45. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think Whitney and I on this podcast, we love to, of course, examine cultural narratives and stereotypes and imprintings that sometimes subconsciously we're not aware are running us, right? Part of this is all about decoding our mind and our belief systems. I think there's a massive cultural narrative that we're supposed to have, quote, figured it all out by a certain age. And that certainly, as we go on, there's this thing of like, well, what do you mean you're going to change careers? And what do you mean you're going to stop doing this thing that we've known you for? I think there's a lot of pressure and expectation around that in our society of you somehow have to have it all figured out by a certain age. So first of all, I commend you for giving your son such an honest answer 
And B, I'm curious if you do feel a certain level of pressure as you go into this new phase of what you're doing at 45. Is there any of that cultural imprinting or narrative that you're having to undo, or do you feel pretty free about it all? I mean, I feel pretty free about as far as my life, or are you talking about the, the kid's life? No, for your life, yeah. Yeah, I feel and the changes you're making. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, when you're growing up, you have a certain thing that you think you want to be, you know, like I want to be an architect. And so is that what you thought you were going to be? I thought I was going to be an architect. And then next thing you know, I was a nurse in the army. And I was like, how did that happen? You know, so it wasn't my plan. It just kind of happened. So it was just to get a degree so I could go to college for other stuff to get a decent pay. And so that was my plan. There was no social media back then, of course, you know, and so you know, now I'm on social media, like that didn't even exist back then. But so it's like, I've gone through a journey. And then of course, becoming vegan has kind of changed my ways, my thoughts a lot too. So it's like, I've like, people wouldn't recognize me from like, when I was a 20, you know, now they'd be like, what? Just wouldn't make sense. Personality but, wise, and not personality, but just kind of like, like the whole vegan thing, just more of a eco friendly type person, you know, but because you know, I was, I mean, honestly, a typical army guy. And so barbecuing and cussing and drinking, you know, mm. that's pretty much military life. And so, yeah, it's just so you kind of, you evolve. I feel like I'm still evolving. I didn't, for instance, I was set on just when I retired, coming back to Tucson, raising the kids, and then they go off and, you know, I find somebody else. And, and now I'm like, and now I'm going to go travel the world and mm-hmm. in hostels and stuff like that. And it, it came from an ex-girlfriend that kind of got me that route, you know? And so originally, like I was going to be living in Costa Rica next year. That was the plan. That plan has changed now. But so now I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? So like I'm, this summer, I'm going to go to Europe you know, for a couple months. It's beautiful. No, it's it's, really it's cool. beautiful that you're leaning into the unknown in a massive way and not succumbing to any of those external pressures of you ought to be doing this, you ought to be yeah. focusing on this, where you're like, hey, you know what? Plans change, you're adaptable, and you're, it sounds like you're going where your heart leads you, which is a great skill, I think, to pass along to your kids. I mean, no matter what they choose, and even if those choices change, which if they're evolving beings, those choices are going to change. And I just bring this up because I have a, a weird script in my mind that almost 43 now, I'm backing slowly away from my career being known as a chef. And it's a little bit harder, I think, because there's an association of the social media component of you've branded yourself a certain way and how do you pivot and expand from that brand. And I know for Whitney and I, we're both in this period of, of massive change and evolution for both of us on a personal and professional level. And this podcast was one of those things of we don't want to just talk about food and eco-friendly living all the time. We want to blow this out and talk about relationships and life and subconscious belief systems and mental health and emotional wellness. And it takes time, though, I think, for people to catch on because they're still so anchored in this idea. Maybe people who knew you when you were a teenager or 20s, they have this concept of who you were, but they're not yet caught up to the evolution of who you are in the moment. And I think it takes reinforcing that with people and training them to get used to like, hey, I'm a new person and I'm changing all the time. And who I was a week ago or a month ago is not who I am today. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe people get caught because if they have an idea, we were talking about this with our friend Quist on a previous podcast, we'll link to that in the show notes, about he's in the music industry and people wanting to pigeonhole you or label you or put a box around you of, hey, if I understand it and can label this or have a framework, then I don't feel challenged or intimidated by it if I have a name for it. And I think sometimes that freaks people out if they can't readily go, oh, well, I know who you are, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. if they can't figure you out, I think it, it scares or threatens certain people. Yeah, I know with me, of course, military, 20 years, that was a big chapter in my life. But yeah. actually, I think this is the first time I actually, in social media, I've actually said that I'm military. I kind of hide that. I'm proud of it, but I don't want it to define me. That's like, that's a chapter. It was a big mm-hmm. chapter in my life. But at the same time, 
I don't want to lead with that, I guess. And so, cause like, okay, I'm now I'm kind of evolving to something different. It's not that I didn't enjoy that time, but same, I don't want to lead with that. Also, I don't want to sit there and share stories like, oh, Iraq or Afghanistan stories. Like I'm okay sharing that stuff, but it's like, I don't want, that's not my main conversation I want to have. Got it. Mm -hmm. I want to know about the other parts of the person. So. Well, speaking of which, that's a really good segue into the topic I know you're really excited to share today, which is attachment styles. Attachment styles, or you might hear it as uh, attachment theory. Yep. And so, yeah, I guess you want me to kind of sh give a background of what I it do. is? I do. I also, I want you to begin with why this is something that you're really passionate about, because this is, I think you mentioned the book to me through a TikTok message. I did. And then I went and read the book. I actually haven't finished it yet. The book being... It's Attached. called Attached. I have it here. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you travel it with it. It travels with me. <laughs> to me, it's actually a, one of those books that's almost, if not equally important as the five love languages in terms of understanding uh, relationship dynamics. And I think I'm very interested in psychology and personal dynamics. And so this book really appealed to me. I like also understanding who I am in relation to other people and who they are in relation to me. And this book was really insightful. So yeah, thanks to you, I ended up reading it. And then this is something that you wanted to talk about today. So I'm excited. It's definitely become my favorite book, actually. But Is it really? How yeah. did you find this book? Maybe begin there. So I guess my story is, so I was, talk, I was talking about going to Costa Rica. So I had a girlfriend. Once the kids, the last kids were gone, I was done with high school. We were going to move to Costa Rica, which would have been next year. And so, but through the relationship, and I won't talk too much about it because I don't want it, it's not fair to her, I guess you could say, but we decided to go to therapy, but we ended up going to individual therapy and then we we're going to come together. And she went to one therapy and the, that's the day the relationship ended, unfortunately. But the next week was my therapy. And I was like, you know, should I go to this therapy? You know, because like, she's not in my life anymore, you know? And so I was like, you know, I'm going to go to it because, you know, anybody can benefit from therapy. So I went there and I described the situation. He mentioned one of the attachments in there, and I won't say what it is for her, but but he mentioned one of the attachments, and I was like, "What is that?" He gave me a quick uh, description, but and so I went home and I looked it up, and I was like, "Wow, this is ninety five percent of our issues," and I was kind of shocked, you know. And I was like, "This person knows her," and also, of course, in the beginning, I focused on what what her issues were. Of course, you know, I didn't focus on mine, but you know, I've, I've been going to therapy for like nine months now, but. So then, you know, eventually, of course, we get to like my stuff and I'll say it like, I'll explain it a little bit, but you're not just one type, you're a spectrum of things. And so anyways, it kind of got me involved with like, I hate reading, but wow. <laughs> which is funny because now I do a podcast where I have to read to, you know, do the news. But so I, I got this book and another book once it led me to like what her style was or her, her what was the other book. I'll have to we'll put in the show notes, yeah. but. I can't remember the name of it now, okay. but but it's very specific to that attachment. Oh, so, so wait, there is it like a direct? It's not the same author, but it's no, like just somebody but, else talking about the same topic. Correct. And so okay. the other book, he has a lot of books on this subject. Oh, I didn't and know so, that. Yeah. So I can yeah, I'll share it to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the, the show notes at wellevator dot com. That's W E L L E V A T R. Just look for the podcast section and then find this episode. So. I don't think that Jason Robel, I have to clarify because there's two Jasons here yes. today. Uh, I don't <laughs> think Jason Robel knows much about this book. So for him and for the listener, if they're unfamiliar, will you give a summary, Jason Green? Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a quick history, I guess, of this. So it started back in the 50s with a psychiatrist and he had John Bowlby, I think was the name, but 
he was looking at children and seeing how he had this theory that if you, the longer you're with your caretaker, the more, the better off your life's going to be basically. And he looked at a lot of orphan kids and foster kids. So of course it can be a little more challenging if you, that's what you're used to, of course. And so he did that. And then he had a, a colleague named Mary Ainsworth and she, like in the seventies, I think seventies or eighties, but she had what they call a strange situation test. So she took it a little further and she would take 12 to 18 month old kids with their caretaker. It was usually their mother. And they would put them in a room with toys and let the kids play with toys. And then mom would leave. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so, of course, they're going to react a certain way. And that kind of great, they created the three categories. And so they would come in, the mom would leave like twice, and then also a stranger would come in. Normal baby responses, they're going to freak out a little bit, of course. Mom's gone. And so if they cried, mom comes back in. And of course, the mom soothes them pretty quick. They're good again. They go back to playing toys, playing with their toys. That was known as a secure attachment. If the baby was crying, it took a lot longer for the baby to react. And they do what they call protest behavior. Like I'm going to kick and scream at mom because you left me. That was known as a anxious or preoccupied anxious. And so, and then there was a third one, which is avoidant. They don't really care if mom's there. Mom leaves. They don't care if mom left. And you, mom comes back, they can care less. Why are you laughing, Jason? <laughs> Jason Robel. Did, did I just identify you? <laughs> really? I want you to keep going, but my reaction to the avoidant was so visceral when you described it. I'm just like, whatever. I can make myself a damn sandwich whether you're here or not. Well, you know, I, and, and I need to jump in really quickly because I want you to keep going. But okay, this has come up a lot in my recent romantic engagements. This is what past, I thought. I've been analyzed. Three years? Maybe three. Yeah, three to four years in particular, I've noticed that I'm like, hey, we're together or not doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to have a great life. And part of it has been a compensation method, honestly, of my own growth of having really unhealthy attachments, like being devastated when a person would leave. And now I think maybe as sort of rewiring or a coping mechanism or something, I feel like the needle has swung and where I'm just literally like, to a degree, and this might sound callous, like I just find myself showing up in romantic relationships right now of like, if you're here or not, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Sounds like avoidant. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to guess that, but yeah. now. You yeah. weren't going to guess I was going to guess anxious, but I'm only going off of what I've heard on the podcast. Right. And well, when I was father. reading the book, I was like, Jason's 100% avoidant. But it's also partially because Jason and I used to date. I don't know if you knew this. Yes. Yeah. I guess if you listen listen. to one of our episodes, (laughs) we talked about this. Yeah. We dated years ago and it's very typical for, actually it's most common for an anxious or someone that's at least borderline anxious to be attracted to avoidant men. And when I was evaluating myself and my relationships, most of the men I've been with have fallen into the avoidant category. So that was another clue to me. So maybe, Jason, you've actually been avoidant your whole life. It's just manifesting in a different way. But perhaps our resident expert, <laughs> Jason Green, can yeah. enlighten us. Please continue, Jason. Yes. So I guess first, the fourth category is called disorganized. I don't really touch on that too much. But this disorganized is someone who's like sexual or trauma, it's a really bad trauma. They kind of get weird when mom comes back, you know. And so it's a very, very small population. Those people, of course, just should go to therapy. But I just want to kind of get that one out there. It's called mm-hmm. disorganized. Um, but yeah, as far as you, so as a child, this is how you're being affected by your caretaker. It doesn't matter if it's your mom, dad, or grandma, whatever. Everybody's going to influence you, but of course, mom or dad's going to influence you more. But what happens as a kid, some of the studies show that like 70% of what you categorized as a baby, 70% of those people are going to be the same 
what could change is maybe there's some trauma or or you're around a lot of good people I mean, you weren't when you're younger. So your zero to three years, they say, is the most influential time. But everything, of course, affects you over life. But like you said, you like maybe because like your father relationship might have created a certain thing over time. And so, you know, and I've seen that, honestly, from people I've dated and just friends, like it seems to be dads, but mostly, you know, I feel like there's a lot more dads out there that aren't doing what they should be doing, of course. And I think there's a podcast you had the other day, but something about breaking the chain. There's some book you're reading about breaking the chain of like, your mom was this way, you're this way. And so I don't know. I'm trying to think. I we, read so it, many it, books. It, it was honestly in the, it came up in the page episode where we were talking about generational imprinting and oh, generational right. trauma. Yes. What book was that called? I actually, I'll remember. It'll be in the show notes. We've it, recommended so many called, books. Yeah, it's called like, <laughs> it didn't start with you. It or didn't something. start with you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I thought about that as, like, for instance, his father, he, he has children. It's like he's got that imprint somewhat of that person. Well, it's, Jason, when did your dad leave? Because that was a pivotal point in your life. How old were you? It was younger than five. I can't exactly pinpoint precisely what age. But it was between the ages of three and five, where my mom but and dad's relationship kind of dissolved. Between the ages of zero and three, there were things going on with your dad before he left that were causing this avoidant attachment style. Oh, I'm sure that there was. And I think part of it, too, if I'm examining this in real time, my mom, as a result of being a single mom, worked three and four jobs at a time. And so as a result, yes, I was raised by my mother primarily and also by aunts, uncles, cousins, grandma, and grandpa. So part of this development stage of my childhood was realizing that, okay, even if I don't get love and protection from mom, I got it from grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle. Like I was literally getting passed around the whole family in Detroit because mom had to work three and four jobs just to make ends meet. So as a romantically involved adult, I think maybe part of that is coming back now of, oh, if I'm with a significant other and this woman won't give me the love that I desire, that's cool. This one over here will, and that one over there will, and I don't really need you. And why did you respond so so much, though, to when you talked about the kicking and screaming with mom, right? That was what it, what no, it no, was. No, no, no. It was the avoidant thing where mom comes back in the room and I'm oh, just like, and you oh, don't hey, care. Cool. I'm going right. to keep doing what I'm doing, okay. which I think is an overcompensation for, if I may, a way that I emotionally handled the deep wound of the abandonment I felt from my father leaving is like, cool, I don't need you. Bye. Yep. Which maybe was a way for my young, young brain to compartmentalize that and not be completely destroyed by that. Because as a child, I don't remember feeling mm, devastated by him leaving per se. But as I've gone to therapy and I've done psychedelics and I've worked with an innumerable number of different modalities for healing, it's really made clear to me that I did feel abandoned, but I compartmentalized it mentally in a way so that I could keep going. And I almost in a way that I needed to be strong for my mom, like in some small, my child brain was like, oh, like you, you need to like step up and, and like make sure she's okay. So all of that compartmentalization came back as an adult man to be looked at and dealt with. But the coping mechanism of I'm good, whether you're here or you're not, I'm good. Cool. That's still, pl- and I don't want to plagues me, but it's obviously very much in play in my romantic relationships now. I'll take you or leave you. It's cool. Yeah. As far as avoidance, they tend to repress emotions. It's good that you're actually going to therapy because most avoidance actually won't. They're like the last to know that this is happening. Their friends know, you know, it's happening, their family, you know, and so they may just look at it as like, oh, he just, you know, hasn't found the one or something like that. Instead of, it's kind of like you're repeating those patterns and it takes really someone to kind of point it out to actually like, hey, this is what I think is happening, you know, and 
until you'll repress a lot of your childhood that are, you'll make it more positive than really was. I mean, you're pretty open from what I've listened, but a lot of avoidance will talk about like, oh, I had a, I drive around with my dad, have some good experiences. But if they get to a therapist, they'll find out that even dad was there, like, you know, like your dad wasn't there, but even dads are there doesn't mean they're actually there. They're just filling the role. But, you know, because I know somebody who's, this dad had six kids with three women and he abandoned five of the six. So the fifth and sixth kid, they got that dad for most of their childhood, but he wasn't really there. He's just not a nice person. And it's, it's affecting those people. Everybody's going to be affected differently, all those six kids, but, but it's going to affect you whether they're there or not. It's just what is their attachment style that's going to affect you. I think this is so fascinating because I've said this to friends. I don't think I've said it on the podcast that I feel so okay on my own that I get worried sometimes that maybe I'm so used to being on my own now and so self-sufficient emotionally because of that childhood overcompensation and also the reality that I've been through some really hard breakups, like painful, visceral breakups, that on the other side of it, I've come to the realization that, yeah, that was painful and I'm okay. So it's almost this acknowledgement of reality that, yeah, whether I'm with someone or not, I'm okay. But the the worry that I have sometimes is being so self-sufficient and so in that avoidant, like, cool, I'm good either way, I'll take you or leave you, that maybe I'm not open to partnership in a certain way, but I haven't decoded that fully. I, and it's a worry because I'm like, I'm so used to my daily routine and my house and the way I have things set up and my routines that it's like, how's someone going to slot into this? I'm almost so set in my ways of my daily life and how I've set up my life that I'm like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to fit someone in. You know, with avoidance, it's a genuine concern. With avoidance, they have a, they have these boundaries and they're, my therapist explained yeah. kind of like paper boundaries. Jason. <laughs> Please yeah. keep going. I should charge for this. <laughs> Get my Venmo, Venmo handle. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll be linking yeah. to in the show notes. Is your, your new attachment therapy yeah, session. Yeah, no, Jason, please, please keep riffing. I love this. Yeah, this, Jason's getting a free session, a free taste. So avoidance, they have these boundaries. But my therapist explained it like paper boundaries are so easy to break. And it, it doesn't take much, really. And so you'll start looking for things that's going to basically irritate you. And so it could be like, she eats so fast or her spoon hits the bowl that many times. <laughs> I think I'm, hit, I'm yeah, hitting the spot. You're, you're and so <laughs> they tend to self-sabotage is what avoidance do. Yep. And so they will find things yep. that's what's wrong. So it doesn't matter if like you have a girlfriend and she's doing everything right for you. You're going to find something wrong with that person. And especially if they live with you, you're going to feel like you're smothered even if you invited them in because now your routine's messed up and it doesn't take much. Honestly, it's, does water drop on the, do you wash your hands a certain way and there's water on the counter? Could be a life altering decision for you. Why is this making you laugh so, so hard? It's so spot on. Because it's so <laughs> it spot on. Yep. It's literally, I joke sometimes that I have Seinfeldian dating tendencies. Yes. Like if, if anyone remembers the man hands episode of yes. Seinfeld and how Jerry Seinfeld on the show Seinfeld had all of these very specific hangups and proclivities about people he would date. And I often say that I have Seinfeldian dating tendencies because I'm like, oh my God, did you see that shade of nail polish? That nail polish? Are you kidding? Who would wear fuchsia with that dress? Are you kidding? And I'll catch myself and I'll be like, dude, you are Jerry Seinfeld. You're freaking Jerry Seinfeld. What is wrong with you? So as you're saying it, I'm laughing because I joke and I'm self-deprecating about my Seinfeldian dating tendencies. My therapist actually mentioned Seinfeld when I was talking to him about this <laughs> stuff. And so he mentioned man hands too. That's what's funny. Um, and it's the greatest show ever. But... 
<laughs> I will say too, for everybody else, probably avoidant. We're probably figuring that out, but it's a spectrum, so it doesn't probably, mean you're probably. <laughs> I think like bingo. Well, I'm not ding, a therapist. Ding, 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 I don't want. Yeah. So you're, there's a spectrum too, of course, and we can link the show notes too, like the actual tests to get you into that category. But so like he's probably avoidant, but he's not all avoidant. There's some anxious. There's some secure. Just so people know, it's it's not one or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. So like for me, one thing I learned is so I'm like middle of the road secure. Secure, of course, is the best one to have. That's why it's called secure, I guess. But and then I have a little bit of anxious too. But if I'm with an avoidant, my anxious will go up. All of a sudden, I'll just be like a totally different person. I won't know what's going. All of a sudden, I'm worrying about every little thing that I shouldn't worry about. Find a secure person, everything will just be chill and be great. But anxious will, it might make you go a little bit in your spectrum, but really it's the avoidant that's going to make you turn into a totally different person sometimes. Mm. So then you come out of that relationship and going like, what? What happened there? What happened to me? Jason's doing the math right now. (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, if you, it's interesting because in the book, they talk about how you generally don't match up with your same type. Like avoidance don't often end up with avoidance, but I think at least one person, and you might know who I'm talking about, Jason, you have dated an avoidant person. And I feel like, don't you think if we're thinking about the same person and that's really interesting, it's like, how does that happen? Like, was Maybe. it quick though? We was didn't. It short? We didn't see each other that much. I can tell okay. you that, in the sense of phys- you're avoiding each other. <laughs> well, no, literally. I mean, it was the point was we physically did not spend that much time together or communicating, and so it, I felt like there was no intimacy or vulnerability or depth being created as a result of that. But and that's ultimately you, you why we broke felt, up. Felt, but it's almost like you held on for a while because maybe you felt more comfortable dating someone that was avoiding because then you didn't have to deal with it versus. One of your more recent experiences was with somebody, I think that got similar to what Jason Green was just saying, that I think your avoidant tendencies maybe triggered this person's anxiousness. Yes, yes. Their anxiousness triggered you to be even more avoidant. Oh, yeah. It's like... The paper turned into paper mache, turned into wood, (laughs) turned into concrete. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Sorry. No entry. Gate codes changed. (laughs) Got Bell at the door guarding it. I will yeah. say with avoidance, there's one study actually in that book that there's like 200 couples, but they couldn't find one avoidant couple. I feel like the avoidant avoidance is usually like a friends with benefit or a long distance thing or like a one night stand is really where that it comes in. Cause yeah, they're doing their own thing. Cause one thing with avoidance is they tend, you mentioned uh, being vulnerable, even like in with like sex, they, it's more of like having that fun, but there's not a intimacy kind of gets pushed back and it kind of creates that wall so you can escape, you know? And so. As an anxious person, you'll probably notice that you're like, sure, sex might be great, but then you're like, I want to cuddle. Sorry, I got to go. So I got to go do a podcast. It just doesn't, it's just kind of like, avoidance are very open about sex too. So they are the ones that tend to have more sexual partners and stuff like that. They just don't have that, I guess, wall up about it, but it's, it's more taking care of their needs and not intimacy. For me, this book is really interesting too, because when I realized that I just fall a bit up, at least a bit on the anxious spectrum, similar to you, Jason Green, right now in my life, in my current relationship, I feel secure, probably because the man that I'm with falls more on the secure spectrum than the avoidant. And I think as I've been reading the book and all that, I keep contemplating because I haven't quite nailed him down. I think I had him do the quiz and I don't think he was avoidant. So to me, my anxiousness is not being triggered, as you were saying. So that was really helpful for me to see that and see how much I've grown or where I kind of, the reasons that might trigger those emotions. 
And it also is really helpful for me because it helps me feel less like common anxious tendency is to feel like you're always doing something wrong. And that you feel like you're to blame for things not going right. And so you do have all this anxiety, like I need to change or I need to get better to have this person's love and approval, which is absolutely me. I have this fear. And I see that in you, Jason Green, based on things we had discussed earlier, where like it sits with you and you're like, well, what did I do wrong? And how can I fix it? And how can I get this person to like me or love me? Right. Reading the book and realizing that I have attracted or been attracted to avoidant personality types. It's like, Oh, okay. It's not necessarily my fault. It's that that's the, the kind of like the natural tendency of somebody with my attachment style to be attracted to that person. And I never really recognized that until I read the book. And then once I understood more about the avoidant attachment types, I felt like. I could feel less anxiety about like the past, you know, and how feeling like, oh, if only I had done this, then maybe things would have been different. But I don't know if that's true because if you're with an avoidant type, that's who they are. You can't necessarily change them unless they're willing to meet you in the middle and work on it together to become more secure, right? Would that be inaccurate? Yeah, definitely. It's the anxious avoidant trap is, it's very common. I know. Because I have a decent amount of anxious, and I, I think I've dated two avoidance. Like you know, it's bad for you, but you get drawn to it, and then you go away, and you're drawn to it. You know, and I had one. It was a long distance relationship. I can talk about her because I don't even know where she is, but, but it was like it was long distance, and she had some. I learned over the phone that she had some histories and stuff that made they'd be red flags, of course, but, but you know, I didn't look at that, and so, but when I finally got to her, you know, like I cut time with my family and my kids to go meet her and she couldn't have been more opposite when I met her and it was just like wow what is this she was like just totally mean I could not find a flight out of there quick enough you know it's like what happened like what did I do and I found out through mutual friend because that's who set me up like six months later it was because I didn't speak to her for two straight days on the phone when I was with my kids I'd text her or whatever but and that was all it took and all of a sudden all of a sudden, like, I'm the worst person in the world, you know, and then, but then she ended up moving next to, in the same city as me, like, six months later, and sure enough, I talked to her again, you know, and nothing ever happened, like, we didn't even get to a date, because all of a sudden, her avoidant ways, just boom, she just disappeared again, you know, and it's it's funny, but you're like, why am I attracted to that? Right, well, the book says that if you have had this pattern, it's hard to be, to feel attracted to somebody who's secure, because they're so secure that you often don't feel that spark that we associate with love. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting too, is that we get into these bad habits. It's, it's kind of like that cliche where women are attracted to the bad boys. They think that that feeling of like excitement and thrill and not knowing what's going to happen and whatever else is what love feels like versus it's kind of like retraining yourself to be attracted to somebody who's very stable and secure and I found that a really important point of the book because a lot of us just end up in these ongoing cycles of the same things happening, the same results happening. And we feel this pressure to like learn a lesson, but I think it's also about retraining yourself and giving somebody a chance, which I've had to do too in my relationships because I found the same thing. The secure men that have been attracted to me. I'm so often not attracted to them at first because I'm like, they're, you know, they're boring. Yeah. They like me too much or this yeah. is too easy or whatever it is. Right. 
versus like the avoidant men. It's like it kind of, it's that chase. And we also often associate love and romance as part of the chase. The fun is like not knowing if someone likes you or not knowing when they're going to call whatever, all those like exciting, thrilling moments. But ultimately, if you're looking for a long-term partnership, the book is saying that being in a secure relationship, a secure dynamic is much better in the long run for you. I would be very curious, this came up as as you guys were riffing deeper into this, that if there was any statistics or research done on people in alternative relationship structures, a la polyamory, multiple partners, things like that, that if those people were predominantly avoidant, because as we're describing it, it, in terms of the experience, not all the experience, but some of the experience of friends and acquaintances who polyamorously structured relationships, it makes me reflect on like, oh, are those people avoidant? I have seen one thing about that, and I can't remember where, but, and it was, I don't know if it was saying they're more avoidant. It was just that, you know, we'll say a polyamorous woman, she wants that alpha man that's going to just take care of her physically, but she also wants that sensitive guy that's going to give her a massage. So it's like they get the best of both worlds. That's how they're looking at it. And so they wouldn't say they're necessarily avoidant, but it did seem like they were leaning that way. You know, it's, yeah, they're kind of picking and choosing to get the complete man, you know. <laughs> like one human can't fulfill all of my needs and desires. So if I just have a, a bevy of them, a bevy of humans, each with different qualities and attributes, then yeah. the hybridization of all those personalities gives me all of my needs and desires. But that also begs the question of, you see this a lot on social media memes and articles of, Sometimes the expectation that we go into in relationships as humans of one person completing us or fulfilling all of our needs and desires and a lot of the insurmountable pressure that can put on a relationship when someone comes in with that mentality of you're going to complete me, you're going to meet all of my needs and desires, but not sure that that's a realistic or healthy expectation to have for one another. Yeah, that's another thing, the avoidance. They are looking for the one and they think if they find the one that everything would be great. Like that's my soulmate. But like even if you find you're one, you're still going to have issues. It's just life. They almost think that there's no, a lot of avoidance think there's no really work. It's like once I find that person, and unfortunately, then you might go through 30 people and you might miss a couple secures in there, you know, or somebody's just low anxious. And so, yeah, they have this thing that they're looking for the one, you know, and then eventually like they'll have somebody who treats them better probably than the rest. And those people usually become, they call the phantom X. And so what it is is like, say you have one that's a really good relationship. Well, now whenever you're in another relationship, you're going to start thinking, well, Susan doesn't do this where Judy did, you know? And so it's like, you're going to start comparing the new person with the old person. And reality is the Phantom X was probably no different. It's just, they have this because you're not it's around like that person anymore. Yeah. You're it's not, you're only remember the good stuff now, of course, of Susan. And now you're going to put it on this other person, you know, like, oh, this person doesn't open the car door for me or something like that. Something mm-hmm. simple as that. So mm-hmm. I said, or she eats too fast, you know, whatever. It doesn't take much for avoidant to be irritated. And it's just because they get, you were talking about like development of the brain, I think earlier, but it's like, because you're conditioned that way, your brain's a certain way, your brain's going to light up a certain way. And like mine's going to, and hers is going to light up. And so avoidant brain, I think it's the prefrontal cortex. It doesn't regulate as much or show up as much for emotions where an anxious, I think it's called amygdala, theirs they've shown is actually usually larger and that's what's their emotions. And so I don't know if it's part of that's genetics or just conditioning, you know, but, and so yeah, your brain lights up differently and my brain lights up, you know? And so, but it also will light up differently with who you're around too. I know because I was with therapy, I kind of was comparing. I was like, okay, let me look at my anxious versus my avoidant, you know, people that I've dated. And 
one thing I did was I thought, well, you know, when I go to bed with the anxious person, you know, you do the normal hug and kiss, sleep. That's it. Well, I mean, there's other stuff, of course, but you know, the normal day, <laughs> right? Right. So, but you know, a day where there's not too much fun. And so, but with the anxious person, I noticed I always had to have my hand on her when we're sleeping. I always, it didn't matter. It was like arm, hip, whatever. Like I always had to have a touch. And I realized like, that's the only time I really get touch from her. And it didn't, sex life was great, but I wasn't getting the intimacy, I think. And so I like, I just wanted to have touch. And she would a lot of times come over to me and smother me in her sleep. But I appreciate it. Like, I can't breathe, but I'm just glad that she's all over me, you know, because I didn't realize I was missing that. The anxious person, this really didn't, I was like, okay, whatever. But so I was like, those little things make you react differently. And so your spectrums, like I said, with avoiding all of a sudden, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm the guy who's like, come on, can we just cuddle? You know, and I'm like, that wasn't me with the anxious person. I'd be like, all right, let's go watch some TV, you know? And so you just kind of turn into a different person if they're, whatever their spectrum is. But of course, if they're really strong on one, it's mm. going to affect you. And so... So yeah, the secure person, if you're a secure person, of course, you like you're saying, they kind of looked as boring, but they also help the avoidant and the anxious kind of come back, you know? And so I think of like somebody I know, it was like that person's was with a secure person and it, that relationship lasted longer than the normal relationship that person had, but at the expense of that secure person starting to go anxious. Right. So, and so, so like the take- book, because I haven't finished the book yet, does it get into things like that? Like how does the secure person navigate an avoidant or an anxious person, because I almost feel bad for them having <laughs> to deal with with that, you know? Yeah, it does talk a little bit as far as, I mean, really, it's, you should go get therapy, honestly, no matter what you've done in life, you should get therapy. And, and it's really just understanding. I know like with my uh, avoidant that I had dated at one time, the one that like the most important, I guess, of the two, like, I wish I knew this information before, of course, because now I'm like, okay, now I understand because they're not vulnerable, but it's same, once in a while, they'll make a comment and you're like, now I can go back and like, oh, that comment seemed like nothing. But now I understand like that's deep. There's some deep wounds there that she's got to deal with and she doesn't know how to do it. And mm-hmm. so it's like she knows it's there, but I'm not going to deal with it because that's going to cause you know me to deal with it basically and cry and all that. And so, yeah, you just need the therapy really. And so, but it helped it, this book, at least I feel like helps you understand for that secure because I know, like I said, I would be much better prepared. It doesn't mean the relationship still would have worked, but at least now I'm like, okay. They're very abrasive. So now she tells me, suck at whatever. Now I'm like, oh, that's just her being her avoidant ways. You know, that's what she learned, unfortunately, from her father, you know, her mother, mm-hmm. you know, and so, but ultimately it comes back to trust and vulnerability and they don't trust their parents. Why would they trust you? It doesn't matter what you do and you'll magnify your trust too. So she could say that she doesn't want to go out tonight because she has to work and she really just was tired and went home. You look at that, like, she's lying to me. I'm done with the relationship. And mm-hmm. so even though it could be, Oh, you know, she's just tired. She just don't want to tell you the truth, but you've made it to like, she's having an affair. So you magnify the trust. Right. So the other interesting thing in that book that I thought was just interesting advice, but I've heard it before in relationship advice is I think it might have been specifically for anxious people to date multiple people at once so that they don't get too attached to one person. Does this ring? I think this is in the anxious section because you get attached real quick. Basically, I know that's for me, that's my anxious part. So like for me, I want to go travel right now, but I don't want to date because I know like, oh, I'm going to fall in love and then I don't want to leave. Right. You know, and it's like, that's the anxious part of me. That's super interesting because I (laughs) know this is so awesome. I'm considering the possibility of strong possibility of leaving Los Angeles after being here over 13 years. And part of the thing is this desire to find someone and be in a relationship. 
and also the idea that uh, you're kind of maybe on the way out in the next few months looking at places in other places, and why would you get into something if you know you're going to leave? Exactly. Hmm. Well, on that note, Jason, can you just tell us, does anything that you learned at that singles night you went to, I know you want to talk about it, but can you just tell us a little bit about that experience? What did I learn? Okay, Okay, so last night... Yeah, give the context. What did you go to? (laughs) So my friend Sarah on Instagram, we had this ongoing joke about doing a singles night. And so she was at a local restaurant and texted me a picture of like, they're having a singles night. You should go. I'm like, okay. So Was it a vegan singles night? Correct. It was a vegan singles night. Where was it? At Sun Cafe in Studio City here in California. And she sent me this photo and I had known about it for like, a week at least. And after we were recording episodes here at the studio for the podcast, I went home, fed the animals, played with them, the typical afternoon stuff. And I was thinking about it and starting to get really uncomfortable about the idea of going to a singles night. Really, like like my body was having a visceral reaction. And I, why is this having such a charge for you? And as I was sitting in it, and this is a topic that I we're going to cover in another episode in more depth, is this idea, the stigma of being single, that if I show up, it's like, oh, Jason's he's here to like fish for people? Like, what's wrong with him? And I think it's part of a larger cultural narrative that I'm finding myself decoding for myself of, oh, you're in your mid-40s and you're still single, dude? Like, what's the matter with you? And part of it is, I wonder where that comes from, because I think part of it may be left over from where I grew up, because my mom where she works and what she does for a profession, she jokes with me. She has people coming up to her at work and like, why is Jason still single? Why hasn't he found someone yet? And I'm like, oh, it's so cringy. I think that part of that thinking got into me a little bit because as I was sitting with my discomfort last night, I'm like, why is this so uncomfortable for you? And maybe it's because I don't want to appear desperate. I don't want to appear needy. I don't want to be like, oh, he's like going to a singles event, this guy. But I was like, you know what? The fact that it is making me this uncomfortable means that I need to go. Because much like the title of this podcast, I am flinging myself willfully into radically uncomfortable. Like my body's giving me a charge. I'm like, I'm going to do it even more now. So I went, took the motorcycle, which was a really lovely ride. And I walk in, I kind of peek my head in the door and I was like, ooh, oh, <laughs> shit on a shingle. Oh, man. Because it was just like the vibe and the the... Oh. I didn't necessarily find the people to be attractive, and I was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? And then sure as shit, I walk in the door, and an acquaintance I hadn't seen in about four years comes up behind me, puts her hands on me, and she's like, do you know who this is? And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God, this is always so uncomfortable. I couldn't see her face. (laughs) And she was giving me all these hints about who she was, and I was like, oh, and I guessed it, and I guessed on the first try. I was like, thank God, that would have been really (laughs) awkward. So I saw old musical acquaintance there. And so I did end up like having a good good conversation with her and a good conversation with the owner of the restaurant, but it did feel cringy and it felt- Wait, and, what was the structure of it? Like, was it like a it was on a, you No, know, it was on a patio around the fireplace. They have a really great patio at the restaurant. It was just like mingling. It was a mingling like, hey, happy hour. Everybody here yeah. is single, so if you want to talk, you can. Yeah, it was like that. And it ended up like a cluster of people. It ended up being that there were a few stragglers of one, I was a straggler. But then there were cliques of people. There was like a group of four here and a group of five there and a group of girls that had this energy around them of like, we're having girls tonight. Do you really want to approach us or not? And I was like, 
<laughs> like make it hard enough. You know what I'm saying? Like it's awkward enough at a singles event. And now you guys have this little girl click that you're just like, walls up. Try it, boys. And I was like, fuck, no, fuck, fuck this. No. So I ended up getting my mac and cheese and my taco and my roasted potatoes and carving the hell out to get warm for my motorcycle ride home. And I just left me. I didn't have any expectations around it, but it was just like, just there was a cringy element to it. And I'm like, all right, look, you did it. You did something that was uncomfortable. You did something that your mind was like, don't do this. Don't. And I did it anyway. So I gave myself a pat on the back, but I just, (sighs) I'm not going to do that stuff again. Like the idea of picking up someone in a bar or a restaurant or a singles event, there's just, I don't know what it is. It just felt cringy. It felt awkward. And I'm glad I did it because I was curious, but I'm not going to do it again. But in a way, it was like over the weekend, Jason Rebel and I went to a party together and I saw this cute girl. Oscars party. And I was like, Jason, you should go talk to her. But neither one of us knew if she was single or not. Right. So in a way, a singles mixer is cool because at least, you know, everybody is single. You have that confirmation. So right. I mean, it technically like. I understand we have a bad experience. We don't want to do things again. But technically, you all you have to do is walk in and decide if you want to meet anyone or not. And then you can always leave. Like It's better than speed dating to me is the ultimate awkwardness for my personality type. Because sitting down and like, I don't know, I, when I was single, I considered going to a few vegan speed dating events. And I just don't think it's my thing. Maybe it's because I'm introverted and, and that type of socializing makes me very uncomfortable. It's just like the pressure of it. And I don't know. But on the other hand, when you think about it, speed dating is really cool because unlike the mixer you went to, you didn't know if personality-wise you would like anybody. Maybe just looking at them, you're physically judging somebody, but speed dating is cool because at least... You get to talk and you might be like, huh, I wouldn't have considered this person before. I was going to suggest an enhancement to these type of experiences. Whereas instead of just writing one's name on a name tag, we would put their preferred love language and their attachment style on the name tag as lo- along with it. That'd be great. Because, you know, speaking of that, so I guess I'll give you a couple of statistics. But when you're born, about 50 to 60% of the population is secure and it's like 25% anxious, 20% avoidant, and then it's like 3 to 5% disorganized. disorganized, if even that. So that's great. So you're like, okay, I got 50% chance of meeting somebody. But you know what? Most of those secure people, they got locked in early and got yeah. married and they stuck with it. They may come back out of that sometimes, you know, like out of a, a long marriage or a death or something like that. There's a chart in one of the books and it shows like 50% secure is born. But by the time you're 29, if you're dating a 29-year-old, there's only like 20, I think it's like not even 20% left of the secures. The avoidance go from, <laughs> the avoidance go from 20% to almost 50% by 29. So you've got a 50, we all have 50, 50 shot chance of dating an avoidant. And so that's one thing that's really important too, is because, you know, if you get in those patterns that they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> I feel like if I may, that attributes or tendencies of avoidant become magnified and exacerbated by living in a place like Los Angeles. I agree. Because of the (laughs) high pressure to succeed, incredible cost of living here, which you see people hustling, grinding, working their asses off all the time to make ends meet. And I think by virtue of the societal pressure, the pressure to succeed and the cost of living, I meditate on this and think about it all the time. Like If I were in a less fast-paced, more 
chill place that didn't have such a high cost of living, then maybe I could reappropriate some of that energy to focusing on a relationship. But I find myself trying to focus on a relationship and being like, I got to go work. I got to make money. I got to make ends meet. Like it's expensive as shit to live here. So I think by virtue of the entertainment culture, the hustle culture, the cost of living here, I think those avoidant tendencies get exact. And I'm not making excuses. I, I sit with myself and ask myself, like, can I actually like make a damn relationship work here? For all of those reasons, my natural tendency to be avoidant, but that being magnified by being in a place like LA. Maybe you just have to wait for a woman to be a secure woman to get a divorce. Great. <laughs> Her husband dies. Great. I'll go to that mixer next. Hey, could I find a uh, secure divorced vegan female mixer in LA? <laughs> so specific. Well, that, you know, I read another book about six months ago that shaped some of my outlook. And I think it's called something about like the case for Mr. Good Enough or something. Lori, I know her first, it's her last name starts with a G. We'll link to that too. And it's specifically written, she's a therapist and she writes about women in their 30s and the struggles that they have to get into relationships because a lot of them spend so much time looking for the perfect man that they end up not being in the relationship. And then when they're in their 30s, if they want to have children and their their clock's ticking, they have to, in essence, settle for somebody who's good enough as opposed to perfect. And she also talked about the percentage and how most men, the perfect men are already taken or married or whatever by that time so that their pool has really shrunk down. And I remember just feeling kind of depressed by that, you know, thinking like, wow, like good enough. I'm not somebody who wants to settle. (laughs) Right. And so it is really interesting. And it makes me wonder too, like, do you just kind of luck out like when you're growing up and if you meet a secure person when you're in high school or college or it's hard not to internalize it and be like upset with yourself. Were you married before Jason Green? Yeah, I was married 15 years, like pretty much right out of high school. Wow. And because I'm more secure, like I said, I'm like anything, we all have our issues, but I probably stuck with that relationship a lot longer. And part of it's because I had kids in the military moving around. I didn't want to not be around my kids. But yeah, really, we were just two kids, two teenagers. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have been married 15 years, but we were, you know. Was she a secure type as well? No, she's probably more anxious. You know, it's funny because I actually told her about this book as she was trying to get out of a relationship. And I think he's avoidant. And so we were talking about her kid or whatever, but I was like, she had said something and I was like, get this book. So you were the secure to her anxious, in other words. Yeah. But because you met in high school, you said? Right out of high school. She was 17. I was 19. So, Mm -hmm. but, and so... Yeah, she's now realized she's anxious and she's adopted and she found her birth mother. The birth mother gave her up, but then the two kids that came after kept them. And so, of course, there's probably, she's going to have some issues, abandonment and stuff like that. But like, she's actually going to therapy, which is great. But I just like, here, read this book because I could see it just from what my kids say, you know, it's like, just read the book. And so it doesn't mean she's going to fix everything, but at least she can identify his issues were because like his issues, you always hear like there's a guy who has a second family. He was the second family. And his dad was like child psychologist too, but it's like, he was a second family and then it got found out and then he had to choose. He chose the original family. So now your dad has abandoned you. And also like with your dad too, it's like, that also affects the wife if they're married or whatever. So it's like, like that mother is now depressed because her husband had a secret life, you know? And it's like, you carry that thing. And And then also if we look at Epa. Genetics, like epigenetics. Ep- I know. I was to that podcast okay. on the airplane over it's here. It's okay. I'll keep doing it, Whitney. It's okay. <laughs> Some words I really struggle with. 
if we look at that, it, it's not just about our parents, but it's what their parents were like. And I think about that with my parents too, is thinking about what I knew of my grandparents and maybe even my great grandparents, right? So a lot of this stuff has passed down to us for so long. It's a lot of work. I mean, you have to really be conscious about this and then forgive yourself and your parents and your grandparents and all these <laughs> yeah. people and, and then just start to do whatever you can to work through it. I'm curious for you as a parent, Jason Green, like how has this changed your dynamic with your children? I mean, they're obviously, you can't do anything about how you parented before you knew right. all of this, right? But what are you doing proactive as much as you can right now? And then do you teach them these things as well to help them navigate their own relationships? My youngest son knows the word avoidant now. It's funny. We'll be watching like a reality show and he'll be like, I'm like, that person's avoidant. He's like, yeah, I could tell, you know, it's funny. <laughs> so I'm training him. What's funny is my last relationship ended the same week that my oldest daughter, she's 23, her relationship ended. So I was talking to her about it, kind of realized she's a lot like me. And so it's like some of that anxious has gone to her, you know? And so I see that with, like, I know she's anxious. She's the only one that's probably my youngest, and they're 16 to 23. So they're all not really in serious relationships, but kind of see how they are. I saw my youngest daughter in her relationship. Like I, she could just cut it off like that. You know, I'm like, Oh crap. You know, she's might be an avoidant. And so she's had some issues with her mom. And so I'm like, okay, is that why, you know, so, so, cause you do feel like it does, you know, it does cover through generations. Of course, like I know the anxious side. I know it's from my mom and my grandma. I mean, even last night, my grandma calls me like, I still like, she's still, they still want to know when I'm traveling, when I land, you know, and I'm like, I'm 45 <laughs> grandma, you know, and so same thing with my mom. Really? Yep. I, you're always going to be my baby. I'm like, Okay, I just accepted it. Which is funny because my mom, when I landed, she's like, just let me know when you land. I'm like, all right. And she's like, and let me know when you get to the podcast thing. And I forgot. So she's probably pretty sure I'm dead, you know. (laughs) She thinks that we kidnapped you to take you to matcha. Yeah. But it's like, (laughs) cut the cord, mom, you know. But um, but like, so I know I get that from her. My dad, I feel like, is more secure. So, and they got divorced when I was a kid. But my kids travel. I'm like, okay, you're traveling. You're adults. Cool. Tell me about it when you're done. Where like my mom will actually help have them send the itinerary. So she's even worried about the grandkids. I'm like, they're adults. They can travel on their own. But so it's like, yeah, I try to break that chain, but some of it's going to be there. You know, I'm going to worry about my kids, but you know, I don't need an itinerary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I feel like we could just keep digging and digging. Is there a podcast related to this? Have you found any attachment style podcasts? I've only found like one person had like one episode. It's, oh. it's, it's well, it's, now we've added to it, right? Exactly. It's so <laughs> like, it's not new, but it's been, of course, with anything you have to, well, this one, they have to see them as adults. So it's like taking time, I feel like. Mm. So like from what I've read, a lot of therapists are just finding out about this stuff too. It's just kind of becoming a new thing. And so right. it's taking time. For it to catch on. on. And so I'm like, I wish, you know, we knew about this 20 years ago. Well, what a gift to be able to teach your kids that because I think that anytime I learn something new, I wish that I had known it earlier, right? And for me, if I become a parent, those are the sort of things that I look forward to teaching my kids and keeping in mind for that because I feel like it is such an amazing gift to offer that awareness. And my dad taught me as much as he knew and he created a lot of consciousness and intrigue and I learned so much about personal development from my dad and my grandfather. My dad's dad was like that too. And so it is amazing to see that ripple effect of how just being interested in growing as a person can affect other people and and to have these conversations. That's a, a big reason why we have this podcast to open up these conversations and 
to raise awareness and to inspire other people. So I hope you, the listener, have found this really interesting. And like we said, we'll link to everything we discussed, all the books and, you know, other podcast episodes and Jason Green's podcast as well. Do you want to tell a little bit about what your podcast is? It's called Greener Vegan News. It's been in my head for about two years, but basically it's just three news stories a day that's vegan related or climate change, anything environmental. I didn't see anything out there like that. We have, of course, stuff you can read, but I'm like, I don't like reading. And so, <laughs> so I created a podcast. You like this book. Yeah. That was the only book I think I ever read. Yeah. It's just that I liked, I guess. But so it's just news. It's really quick. Just uh, no fluff, just the uh, important stuff. And, and now I read more because now I have to prepare for it every day. But right. so it kind of worked against me. But, but I'm like, I just want to provide for anybody, but it's really just, you don't have to be a new vegan. You could be an old school vegan too, but. Well, that's what's really interesting about your podcast is that you share such new news that it's really hard to keep up with all the news. Yeah, it is. Right. There's a few like social media accounts I follow. I really think Veg News does a great job. Yeah. But you know, that also requires you to read. So <laughs> if you just want to listen to a podcast, you can go and just binge listen to probably four or five of your podcast episodes in one day and be really educated about what's going on. And I know the episodes I've listened to, you were sharing things I had no idea. It, was, it probably would have taken me days or weeks to know that information if you hadn't have shared it. So I'm really grateful that you're doing that just to keep people aware of what's happening, kind of like the breaking news. Thank you. That's really great. Yeah, it's efficient. I feel like Whitney and I have kind of unofficially done that through DMs and Instagram of like, hey, did you see that Tesla's <laughs> offering all vegan interiors and Volvo is too? Like, I'm a car guy, so... Anytime vegan-related car news or food news or anything, I feel like we're always just passing posts back and forth. Yeah. But to see like the latest and greatest in one place makes it a lot easier to stay up on that. Because I mean, my God, fashion, technology, cars, interiors, food, environmental. environmental. I mean, it's literally every single day cool stuff is popping up yep. in terms of plant-based, animal rights, environmental stuff. So kudos to you for making it easier for us to digest. Seek it out and digest it. Thank you. I thought there wouldn't be enough stories each week, you know? I was like, am I going to be able to do five stories a week? And now I'm like, I have to pick and choose now. There's just oh, wow. so much stuff going on. So yeah, it's nice. That's cool. It's a good thing. That is a good thing. Well, thank you so much for being here today and uh, talking about these in-depth subject matters. Now we have to determine if we're going to kidnap you and take you to Matcha or if you're going to go uh, to downtown LA. Have you visited LA before? Yeah, because, you know, I grew up in Tucson. That's where everybody goes for spring break oh, or right. Mexico. But I haven't been here probably three or four years. So, and I haven't flown into LAX probably like 20 years. So it's, wow. it's been a while, but it's just what I remember. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a city that's constantly changing. And you went to Veggie Grill before this, right? Yeah. Had you been there before? Yeah. The last time I was here, I think I came for a veg festival a couple of years ago. I tried that out and it's delicious. But mm -hmm. yeah, I just, of course, had it right before I came here because it was the closest walking distance. Yeah. But, yeah. It's great. So. Well, downtown, Jason lives near downtown. What are some of your number one recommendations oh, man. for I mean, food There's downtown. so many good restaurants. If you want something super fresh, there's Wild Living yes. Foods. There's Olak with uh, yes. our favorite, Mr. Chef Ito. There's also a Veggie Grill downtown. Um, Shojin. There's Shojin if you want vegan Japanese. There's Locally in the Badassery, which is sandwiches and things like that. They have breakfast. a lot of breakfasts there. And there's just a lot of great breakfast options also at Earth Cafe. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, downtown has really come up in, in a big way. That's my hood. So I'm there all the time getting stuff. And there's always the Whole Foods hot bar. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> always the Whole Foods hot Foods bar in a pinch. But there are some great, great restaurants down there. Yeah, there's also- You will also not go hungry, sir. Good. A lot of vegan-friendly places. Like another one that comes to mind is a Sweet Fin, which has vegan poke. Okay. One of my favorite places to go to. And then also Takaya Organica. Oh, yeah, Takaya's downtown. really great 
organic Mexican food and anything on their menu can be made vegan. Yeah. So. Un Solo Soul is another great vegan Mexican restaurant down there. And my favorite pizza place down there is mm. um, Purgatory Pizza. Okay. Their vegan pizza options are incredible. Yeah. I'll have to check some of those out. Yeah, you're going to have to. In between the conference. Pick and choose. I know. Do they have food at the conference? They had, you could like get the highest upgrade, you know, for snacks, but I'm like, you know, they're probably not going to be. Snacks? I know. That was it. So I was like, nah, I'll just find, I, you know, I got my Happy Cow app. So yes. I'm like, whatever is close. That's, Shout out to Happy Cow. Sure. Yeah. Saving everybody's ass yeah. while traveling the world. And I'll be around. So, you know, if you ever need any advice. Thank just, you. Just send me a message. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And to the listener, remember everything is at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast button and then just look for this episode. And if you have any trouble finding anything, you can always email us. It's hello at wellevator.com or you can direct message us on Instagram, on Facebook. We're there for you. We love hearing from you. And uh, speaking of which, if you want to leave a comment on this episode, maybe you can tell us what your attachment style is or maybe one of your love languages. Or if you want to tell us whether you like coffee or tea or whatever, we just like hearing from you. We want you to be part of the conversation. So leave us a comment, leave us a review. If you enjoyed this episode, go check out Jason Green's podcast as well. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.